house of the Lord, and I know that we are, um, it's, um, we have snow falling, and some are uh, probably, you know, as I said, we're uh, doing our best to keep you informed. We don't know how and when and what will happen, but I appreciate the appreciate the song, I appreciate the worship, the words. I will, will say that, in fact, um, there are, um, I was thinking what happened. Um, I gave my credit card to Brother Nick, and um, he was doing some stuff for the youth and uh, making some Reservations and have <clears throat> pray for he and Sister Bree and have a couple children uh, that are not feeling well. I uh, I talked to him this morning. He came by church and and he said um, he said he saw heard a joke or something that uh, somebody was making plans and they had children and he said I probably won't be able to be there next weekend because all the children are well this weekend. You know, because it's kind of like when it happens, it's almost every other week or whatever. But uh, pray for them. <laughs> the, the, the point is, I, I gave him my card, and then uh, Friday night, I got a, an email that said, um, your card has been used, and we think it's fraudulent. And the, I, I looked, and I realized, well, that was the card that I had given uh, Brother Nick and uh, had the same number of one I'd given Brother Heath. So I had to call both of those men at 11 something at night and say, hey, do you have the card? Is it, it, is it secure? And it was, and it was fine. And then somebody, uh, I, then I had to call the credit card people and then shut it all down and they're sending me a new card. And anybody know what I'm talking about, that whole kind of thing. And that's something that I didn't do anything. I didn't do, I didn't mess up. They didn't mess up. Nobody, I don't know, you know, whether it was somebody online that got hacked uh, through uh, what Nick was going through, through the UPCI website, or if it was somebody that, uh, I don't know, however they got it, something that I did, who knows. The point is that somebody took care of it, and they sent me back an email and said, well, we've, you know, erased that debt off of your, you know, thing. And I, you notice that I said somebody. I don't even know who it was. I didn't get the guy's name. And I know I have had similar kinds of things happen that I've been at fault. Okay, maybe it was a computer that did it. I'm not real sure, but there have been times, and I know this will be hard for you all to believe, that I actually have broken the law in a motor vehicle. <laughs> and I've been guilty of, of, you know, one time it was I, I didn't come to a complete stop. It was a rolling stop, and I tried to get the officer to give me a definition, and anyway, but anyway. And so they put those charges on my license, you know. And then it wasn't very, you know, uh, 
several years went by before I, another officer stopped me for something and he said, if you have any motor vehicle violations on your license, I'm gonna write you a ticket. So I walked back to the car and he called it in and uh, it said, no moving violation. And I, I thought, well, I know I, I did one and I got to thinking it's been, I don't know, four or five years ago. And so I don't know if there's a man or woman that look at it and go, okay, it's three years, so we take that off your record, or if that's all done probably now by computer, but whatever, I didn't thank them, I, but I was very thankful that day. And a lot of times people think that the Lord is there just to remove stuff from my record. But it's much greater than that. Not only does he want to remove it, he wants to marry me. He wants to have a relationship. It's not just, I want to do this and get your record clean, wipe out your debt, and me not know your name. I want to move in with you. I want to get in your house. I want to be in your business. Oh, and I thought, you know, I felt bad because I didn't even thank whoever it was that I was talking to online Friday night, midnight. I was rather frustrated. I can't believe what's going on, what's happened, okay? But you know what? The Lord is much has a greater relationship. I'm so glad we can have all of his life. He's been faithful to us, amen? Amen. I, I'm gonna preach on a, a, a little bit here, and I, it's a, a lot of reading, and I apologize for that. I'm gonna delve into a topic that um, I have not ever, um, that I know of, talked about in bits and pieces, but the transfiguration. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, the transfiguration? And, and I want to just look at it for the purpose and, and, and some of that, but there is a reason that the transfiguration, I believe, is very important for us today. And I know that for those of you who remember, uh, Jesus takes three of his disciples up a mountain, and it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and not John, but it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke about this moment of transfiguration and how that there is a voice and how Moses and Elijah appear and they, you know, and we'll look at all the things that happen on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the reason I, I think it's vital is because of the setting of the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. Some of what I will say this morning, there, it's not explicitly stated in the Bible, but it, um, it, it gives me pause when I think about it, and I will explain what I mean. And I, I don't want to add to the word of the Lord or take away, but 
what I want to set for you is the setting when Jesus had been with the disciples. The Mount of Transfiguration happens because they had been together for three years now. There had been some fabulous miracles. They had, he had walked on water. He had raised dead. He had, he had fed 5,000. He had healed. He had opened blinded eyes. They had been with him not one year, not two years, but almost three years when this story takes place and they had seen so much they had heard the sermon on the mount they stood there and they listened as he preached and as he taught and then as he told parables and he said this parable and that parable and you know and, and he told parables that we read and talk about today and he's told these stories and they have heard it they had walked with him for miles they had gone up to Tyre and Sidon they had walked down to Galilee they had walked uh, they had walked all over they had had been journeying with this man, sleeping basically in the same group. They were tight. It was, you know, you just came back from a holiday of however many days with your family. Imagine three years of that. And they're not all family. Wow. And you're just eating together, drinking together, fasting together, praying together, Three years they got to know and they got involved with him. And they, you know, uh, all of a sudden, Jesus pops the question that became sort of a linchpin question with his disciples. And he sort of eases into it by saying, whom do men say that I am? Who am I? I've been with you now for three years. Who do you think I am? Well, first he said, who do everybody else say that I am? And you read it very carefully. They, they start answering him. And, and Philip steps up and says, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're the other prophets. And when he hears that, he kind of... <clears throat> you've got to understand, it wasn't that Jesus didn't know who he was. You remember as a little boy, he said, I have to be about my father's business. So this wasn't like, make me feel good about myself. Would you agree with that? <laughs> this wasn't like, tell me I'm awesome. There was a purpose behind him asking, whom do men say that I am? And of course, the kind of interesting, their, their view of him is the same view that a lot of people take that will not call him the Christ. They will say, well, he was a great moral preacher. He taught like John the Baptist. Some will say, well, he did miracles like Elijah. Some will say, well, he's like one of the prophets. He spoke the word of God. In fact, even the Muslim community will look at the, at the Jewish community and say that Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a, an oracle of God. And so there are a lot of people today who put him in one of those three categories. They will read the stories and they'll say, yeah, he was there, but he, he did miracles. He did all of this, you know, but that was then. And you remember what Jesus said when he got the three, John the Baptist, Elijah, what did Jesus do? He says, okay, now the real question 
is not whom do men say that I am, but let me bring this down closer to home, and that is, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? Is he a great teacher? Is he a great preacher? Is he a miracle worker? What is he to you? Is he really Lord? Is he really the Messiah? What is he? And we know the story. I'm, I'm going to quickly read it to you just so that you'll know that it's in the Bible. But those of you who know the story immediately know who stands up and it's Simon Peter, none other than the brash fisherman who was willing to jump out of a boat and walk on the water and all this. And he says, thou art the Christ. One writer records it as thou art the Christ of God. Which means that Simon was recognizing that you are indeed the Messiah. You are the one that's going to come and you are going to save us. You are going to usher in the kingdom. And he was thoroughly convinced. Jesus' response was spot on. He said, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And so, now that you guys know who I am, I am the Messiah, I'm going to tell you a little more about the story. So he gathers them in closer, and he said, let me explain something to you. I'm fixing to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I am going to go through the agony of a crucifixion. Now for the Jews, that was a tremendous juxtaposition because the Messiah was going to reign and rule and all of this. And now Jesus, when they get it, he tells them, I'm going to suffer and die. That same brash Simon Peter, you remember what he did? He starts rebuking Jesus. Hey, listen, sh shut that up. Don't let that stuff come out of your mouth. We're not going there. That's not happening. You don't know what you're saying. You have no right to talk like that. You're not, you're the Messiah. I just told you you were the Messiah. What that means is you're going to rule and reign. You're not going to Calvary. You're not going to a cross. So zip it, buddy. Jesus whipped around to the same guy he had said, blessed art thou, and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah. Yeah. And he thundered that word. And at this moment, 
you're like, whoa, what's going on? Then Jesus turns the flame up a notch and says, not only am I going to suffer, some of you are going to suffer. And some of you are going to give your life, and I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And with a voice of authority, he said that, and just like what's happened here, a hush fell over the group of disciples. It was so palatable that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record how long it was that there was just nothing. Nothing. Nothing said, nothing done, just nothing. Have you ever been in a home when people have made you mad and just nobody talks? Not one day, two days, actually six days. If you add the day they stop talking and the day they start talking, it's eight days. Now, why was this so overwhelming? Because what Jesus had basically said to them, there is a cost to being my disciples. You're going to have to pay a price. They didn't want to hear that. I'm ready to rule and reign. I'm ready to shout, dance, but I don't want to pay the price. You understand? And... I know y'all are looking at me, and I know you trust my, me having read the Bible, but let, let's jump there. Luke the, Luke the ninth chapter, and, and let, let, me, let me read it to you. Luke the ninth chapter, and it came to pass when he was praying alone, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. All of those things, we, we read through that. Some say you're going to suffer, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad. On Be raised today, on the third day. And he said unto them, if you will come after me, let him deny himself and follow me. For whether whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world, and he himself is a castaway? Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. And he goes through all of these words, and he then says, I tell you the truth, there is he, me, some standing here, which shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. And it shall come to pass at about, and it came to pass about eight days. Notice that. Luke adds the days on both ends. And why would he record eight days if there wasn't something that just happened that brought silence? Eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, James, John, and James and went into the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. His raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, 
which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. In the moment of the transfiguration, they start talking about, you're fixing to go to Calvary. You're fixing to be crucified. That's why this ties directly back to what had happened eight days before. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they awoke, they saw his glory and two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Simon Peter, again in his brashness, says, Master, it is great for us to be here. This is a good thing, man. We just saw two, we saw Moses and Elijah, and wow, in a cloud, and you know, we ought to really build three tabernacles. We'll build one for you, and we'll build one for Elijah, and we'll build one for Moses, and he's just going on, and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son, hear him. In other words, shut your mouth and listen. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close and told one man those days of the things which they had seen. If you go to Matthew, the 16th chapter, that's the chapter where Simon is doing the Thou art the Christ. And it ends that chapter, this 28th verse, Verily I say unto you, some shall be standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then Matthew opens the 17th chapter was, and after six days. Now, you may say, well, was it silence? I don't know, but it was severe enough that they recorded it. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and his brethren and brings them to a high mountain and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah talking and then Simon says this whole thing. And he basically, the voice says, hear ye him. When the disciples heard that voice, what did they do? fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And he lifted their, up their eyes. They saw no man save Jesus alone. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charges them. Then he starts talking about Elijah will come first. <clears throat> so forth. Mark, same Ninth chapter, same as Luke, ninth chapter. He said, Verily I say unto you that some of them that stand here which shall not taste death, they shall see the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days. Then Jesus starts talking to Peter. James and John brings him to a high mountain. He's transfigured, his face becomes white as snow. There appears unto him Moses and Elijah, and Simon goes through his thing. They were afraid. The voice said, this is my beloved son. Jesus leaves 
for them. Now, after eight days of silence, these three are invited to a prayer summit, if you will. Because what Jesus was going to try to show them was how to make it when you are overwhelmed with a bad report or an unexpected report. Because they were expecting Messiah, rule, reign. And so Jesus is going to model for them what to do when you're struck with something that you don't know where that came from. What does Jesus do? Say, so let me tell you how to, you're going to handle this. We're going to have to pray through. Let's go to a mountain and pray. And when we climb this mountain and we start praying, we are going to see the glory of God. They watched as he was transfigured in front of them. And all three accounts describe it as him being a bright white light, his face shining. It knocks them to their feet. What were they seeing? They were seeing into the future. When Jesus, according to Revelation, will come back and John saw it. And I saw him there, and his eyes were like flames of fire. <laughs> and he was standing, and he had a golden girdle on, and he was bright as the noonday sun. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they were seeing the victory that goes beyond the suffering. You're going to have to pray through till you get a transfiguration experience with Almighty God. And I know we were jumping and shouting and dancing, but some of you all were actually, you know, caught up in a transfiguration, if you will, of the Spirit. You know, you pray until you get into the presence of Jesus and until you get a glimpse of the future glory. You know, you, that same face that was shining bright in just a few days was going to be beaten and battered and bloodied and broken. But you know what? They were going to be able to remember you know what? I saw him and he was bright as a noonday sun. In fact, Mark records it in his gospel. I jumped over the verse, but Mark said it was whiter than anybody could bleach anything. It was so white, it was bright. Now you're saying, what, what are you talking about? They could not imagine the glory of the resurrection. They were going to see the suffering of the cross, but they couldn't get a glimpse yet of what lay beyond the cross. I think that's probably why Moses and Elijah were the ones meeting. Because if you remember, Moses, when he died, the Lord buried him, and he was not there. And when Elijah 
got ready to go. He, was, he didn't die at all. He was caught up in a whirlwind and a chariot of fire. And so what the Lord was basically trying to explain to them was here are two people from the Old Testament. Now how they knew them, I don't know. They didn't have photos of Moses. They didn't have Twitter where they could look up what Elijah looked up. But somehow, and I still believe this today, when you die, they still know who you are and everybody, you know, death doesn't wipe away your memory of who you are because the Bible says we'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and these disciples go, that's Moses, that's Elijah. You know what? Jesus is going to be all right. He's going to be all right. Now, I know that might seem a little far-fetched, but you know, at that, that moment, they had been praying, and, and, and then what they heard was a word. It was the same word, the same voice that they had heard when Jesus had been baptized. And it said, this is my beloved son. They knew who that was. When you come in and you begin to press your way through into the presence of Almighty God, that's why we talk about receiving the Holy Ghost and talking in tongues and letting the voice of the Lord speak through you. You know, here's, here's, you know, Mo, here's Simon Peter telling him he won't suffer and Moses and Elijah telling him what he's going to go through and suffer, but there's still going to be glory on the other side. There's still going to be glory on the other side. I, I, I've got so many other verses and I, I'll read them tonight. Let me, let me just turn to one. <laughs> it talks about Colossians. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers, in whom you are circumcised with the circumcision made with hands, putting off the body, the sins of the flesh by the circumcision, buried with him in baptism. You are risen with him through faith. Later on in Ephesians, it says, he hath made us to sit in heavenly places. What are you talking about? No matter what you're going through, no matter how overwhelmed you may be, if you'll get into a prayer closet or prayer time with Jesus and say, Lord, I want you to show me your glory. Show me your glory. I don't know how this is going to work out. I can't imagine. They knew what crucifixions were like. They walked around Jerusalem. Romans were notorious for crucifying people. They saw what it meant to die and hang and suffer. They didn't need that illustration when he said, I must be crucified. They knew what he was talking about. I'm going to suffer. And they knew what it was. But what they couldn't grasp was the glory. That's why he brought them to a high mountain. What are you saying? I'm saying the Spirit of the Lord is here. And I know we worship, but just in a moment, you can just be transfigured in his presence. As you raise your hands, as you begin to let the Holy Ghost flow through you, as you speak, the Bible says, he literally takes us up and puts us, and, and, and we all know, we, we've had the Holy Ghost. We've all said, boy, their countenance changed. Did you see what happened to them when they got the Holy Ghost? There was just a glow. Has anybody ever said those words? Something just whew, 
happen. You know what? They're seeing the coming glory. One of these days, I'm going to walk down the street of gold. Oh, I may be going through it now, but you don't understand. My transfiguration completion is coming. In fact, the Bible says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's why he talks about being a new creature. What are you talking about? I'm talking about getting into the presence of the Lord and letting him transfigure you. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. If you need the Holy Ghost, today's a great day.